and welcome to this Owl Explains Hootenanny. I am Silvia Sanchez, Project Manager of Owl Explains, and I am super excited to share this special episode with you. This episode comes from one of the panels we recently hosted at the Avalanche Summit in Barcelona, our first in-person event as Owl Explains, in which we gathered many wise owls from all over the world seeking to build a better internet. We hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Okay, so before we kick off, why don't our amazing speakers introduce themselves really briefly, starting with Joni. You good? Yeah. Hi, Joni Pirovich, uh, Melbourne-based lawyer specializing in Web3, international tax lawyer by trade and working on data standards for DAOs. Thank you. Hi, my name is John Yarwood. I'm um, a member and an attorney for the Universal DeFi Holding Company, UDHC. I was previously Deputy General Counsel at the Maker Foundation um, and a you know financial regulation and litigation attorney by trade. Hello everyone, my name is Eugenio Giannini. I am uh, actually representing the European Blockchain Association for Asia Pacific. I have past background working in legal, management and consulting, I work for different projects, corporations and associations in the industry. Hi, I'm Steve Wink, I'm a partner at Latham & Watkins in New York, and uh, I'm co-chair of our uh, global digital asset and Web3 group. And my background is a securities regulatory lawyer, and that's kind of how I look at this space. Awesome, thank you. And my name is Silvia Sanchez. You've probably seen me around a lot. I am the project manager here at Owl Explains, and I'm super excited to be moderating such a diverse panel on DAOs. So branch one of the Tree of Wisdom, which you've probably seen outside, and these are the five policy principles that we have designed here at Owl Explains, talks about understanding the technology. And we need to start with the basics to build a solid foundation. So the first question is, especially for those who may be new or unfamiliar to the concept, could you briefly explain what a DAO is and how it differs from a traditional organization? Maybe Eugenio, you'd like to take this one? Okay. Uh, well, to start and to put it in uh, the most simplest way possible, let's say that DAOs, the Centralized Autonomous Organization, represents a, a form of structure that um, can be accommodated for mainly three traits. Uh, the first one is the use of, of course, blockchain technology to transfer digital asset information between users. The second one is probably the way in which the structure operates, so the fact that different uh, tasks for product and project management have been allocated in units from decentralized users. And the third one is probably of relating um, uh, the use of decentralized uh, governance rules in order to allow users to make uh, decentralized operations and votings. Awesome, thank you. Would anybody like to add to that amazing definition? Oh, we're good. Maybe just to play on it, um, because there's many different uses of DAOs, and so what started as protocol DAOs or um, people coordinating together to oversee and govern how a software protocol is operating, we now see a lot of projects using and, and describing the term DAO um, so you, you might have heard of investment clubs, social clubs, um, that there's many other different things, impact DAOs. Uh, you can look, at, look up 
all of the different taxonomies for the different types of DAOs that you see, but despite the fact that they're using DAO, they may be a DAO in name only, and they probably uh, have a company or an investment st fund structure behind them, and they're complying with the company or the partnership or, or the existing legal regimes despite the use of DAO. I think it's great that on the first question, Joni's already pulled the curtain back on DAOs and the usage of the term. Um, but I would agree, there's there's a, a broad usage of the term, but at bottom, what Eugenie was describing was decentralized autonomous organization. You put the software out on the chain, people use, use and interact with the software, but it self-executes and it works on its own. It's decentralized technology and it's decentralized in a governance standpoint as well. So usually it's using some sort of utility token to represent that governance. Um, and by interacting with the code, the code then self-executes through the smart contracts. When Joni's talking about things like social DAOs or investment club DAOs, oftentimes there's not a lot of smart contracts self-executing anything based on the interaction with the users. It's the users are collectively organized in a decentralized fashion geographically, maybe economically or many other ways um, but then collectively are making decisions together in a governance fashion. But the software element, the autonomous element in the middle of the phrase is not as active as maybe as intended when the DAO, when the DAO term was um, minted, so to speak. Very interesting. And following up what you just said, how can DAOs balance that, um, that need for decentralized decision-making, but also making sure that they are leading effectively and having that optimum management. Like, how do you reconcile those two forces? Maybe John or Steve, you want to take a stab at it? Um, I, I think I can introduce the concept that we're, we're getting at here first. But first, I would be remiss if I didn't say to everyone in the room, happy Star Wars Day. <laughs> and as a collective who's into technology, I think we can understand, but also... I want to point out that the original trilogy, anyway, is probably one of our best cultural touchstones on decentralized action to overcome centralized tyranny. <laughs> um, so with that note, I think um, DAOs kind of, the way I like to think about it and my colleagues at the UDHC like to think about it, is there's an arc of compliant decentralization. So very few DAOs start out as fully decentralized or autonomous in any way. Oftentimes, it's a small team of founders who come together to write code and develop the architecture of a protocol or a platform. And then ultimately, along that line somewhere, they need to scale. So they seek funding and support, and they start building a community so they can grow that. And then along the way somewhere, whether there's a long centralized spoke or it's short, they they eventually release into the world the or the platform or protocol itself as as a fully realized DAO decentralized autonomous organization. However, that's not always the case. There have been examples in the past where someone just drops software and walks away. And if that happens, the decentralized arc, how it comes together, is from the very beginning. Um, and that's an interesting case study for um, instance, my history the Maker Foundation and MakerDAO, um, it actually began without the software as a very decentralized group of people worldwide. Um, you can still look up clips on YouTube or some of the calls where there were very long six hour calls from people all over the world discussing how to build this protocol or platform. 
Um, and then it became centralized and followed the arc that I described. Um, but how you manage that is, is a great question. And I think from a legal perspective and a regulatory perspective, it's something Stephen can really speak to. Well, the force is strong with this one, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, there's been a lot of talk about wrappers around DAOs and, and uh, you know, some kind of legal structures because, you know, you know they're, the issues that, that folks start facing after a while is, okay, you know, from a regulatory perspective, for example, you know, how do you hold somebody, uh, you know, responsible? You know, who's, who do we go at, you know, who do we go after if the protocol is doing something wrong? And then for the the participants in the in the DAO, um, you know, does that mean I have some exposure in some way? And uh, you know that comes up in a, in a number of ways. You know, there there could be you know tax implications if if the DAO is um, you know taking in in revenue of some kind. Uh, and then you know we, we've seen in the U.S. with the Uki Dow case, you know that uh, the CFTC was trying to hold some individuals, you know, individual members of the Dow, um, uh, you know, responsible under partnership law because the theory that that you know people who are kind of working in concert for a business or a general partnership, whether it's formalized or not, and um, you know, so the question is, you know, but you know, who really is 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 working in concert, you know, is it, is it, you know, if you own a governance token, uh, are you liable potentially as a partner in, in this DAO? Um, but what if you don't vote that, that token? Or what if you vote against a proposal that is deemed to be unlawful or something, or, you know, takes in some revenue? Are you still liable? So there's lots of very difficult questions there. And the rappers, uh, sometimes can can answer those questions. You know, there's this UNA, the Unincorporated Association concept in the U.S. There are, uh, you know, the, the Wyoming Dow LLC type structure. And those structures may be useful in some cases for, you know, creating a taxpayer. If you want to have, you know, somebody who can make the filings that need to be done. Um, but then again, they're, they're sort of antithetical to the whole decentralization ethos. And, you know, it, it, it also, if there's a governance token, it certainly doesn't help, uh, you know, keep Gary Gensler at bay, is the whole notion is that there's no enterprise that is creating the value in the token uh, by having this DAO. But as soon as you create the, an entity, well, then there they go. That's, that's a, becomes the target. And they can say, well, no, that's the enterprise that's ultimately creating the value. And under the Howey test, that would that would potentially cause that token to be, uh, you know, a security. So, lots of tensions in trying to organize this stuff in under legal structures that currently exist. And uh, I don't think there are any real good answers. But you have to, you know, as you're as you're pointing out, there's lots of different purposes. And so, for those different purposes, there may be structures that we can use. Well, on the Star Wars theme. Uh, again, just to play off, um, I lead a, a data standards uh, regulatory interoperability working group and we go by the name of Millennium Falcon <laughs> because of the role that that ship or that form of technology played in leading the rebellion. But story for another time. <laughs> the, um, the data standards work that I am doing I think is relevant here because 
we're leveraging from the Dow model law that an organization called Koala launched in 2021. Koala stands for the Coalition of Automated Legal Applications. And that Dow model law was recently leveraged by Utah. And we've recently seen them enact the Utah LLD, the Limited Liability Dow, not an LLC. So uh, a lot of the existing legislated DAO frameworks do treat a DAO as a specific form of LLC or a specific type of unincorporated not-for-profit association or an UNA. Whereas with Utah, we were able to work with their blockchain task force and convince them of the benefits of this DAO model law approach, which recognises that these organisations are intended to be digital first and digitally native not paper-based to write down the rules, have many lawyers and other people interpret the rules and apply them after the fact to resolve disputes or figure out how voting occurs. There's a lot of real-time compliance and efficiency benefits and transparency benefits that can be gained by having that certainty uh, subject to smart contract code vulnerabilities of knowing how an organisation should operate and be governed. And we hope that, that more legislatures will take a leaf out of the, the Utah book. There are still political compromises that had to be made, so it's not perfect, but um, the data standards that we're building are actually a complement to what you see in the plain language law of the LLD so that um, basically we've got that policy-making toolkit for DAOs to use those data standards, represent the information that the public, regulators, investor reporting all require us to see. Definitely, thanks. And there's also talk about the kill switch, about halting the market in times of market distress. Um, and I want to hear your thoughts. Do you think it's necessary right now or do we need to get more foundational first? And how does this apply to DAOs and the current regulatory landscape? Thoughts on that? Um, I, I think I want to hear mostly what Eugenio has to say, because um, Europe has certainly taken a clear stance on a kill switch. But um, I think we also have to remember um, at first, for those who are a little bit more U.S. heavy in their, um, in their location or their markets or whatever, kill switches, except for literally the end of the business day, are a relatively new thing in U.S. markets. And that's with the advent of electronic markets and figuring out, oh, wait, we need to slow this down. We need to add throttles. We need to add a kill switch on an exchange. Those didn't happen until the last two decades at best. Um, after things like flash crashes started happening, regulators and the markets realized they needed to enact these things. I say that as a way of caution to regulators out there that we not impose technological requirements on things unless we figure out they're necessary in the markets we're regulating. Yeah. Um, thanks for sticking the bomb on the I mean, Sorry, uh, um, Eugenio, could you just speak a little bit closer to the mic? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome, okay, thanks. sorry. Um, I would say that, yeah, definitely, as you may all know, following the EU Data Act regulation, the institution are discussing about this possibility, the Article 30, and I see at the end it's a matter of evaluating 
um, and making a compromise, a balance between public interested needs that needs to be met in a specific like borderline situations when even software needs to address to those to answer to those to those cases and at the same time also addressing the need of the market to something which is naturally against the way in which the technology has been fought originally so it really requires a joint effort between the industry and the regulators where both they have in mind on one side the regulators have in mind specific cases under which those needs to happen and at the other side the industry should help the regulator to understand all the other ones in which this is not mandatory and this is not what the line so they shouldn't be there you know just just to kind of step back a little bit yeah i think i think of decentralization as more of a process than an end state and um you know so a lot of folks that you know build a new protocol you know, they're, they're worried, okay, we can release this out into the wild as we get more decentralized and we get an active community. Yeah, we want to have this, you know, kill switch or some ability to veto, you know, detrimental proposals. And of course, you know, as a securities lawyer, I think, oh my God, that's going to create, you know, then, then you're, if you have that control, then, then, then you're the, you know, the enterprise that could be um, identified in the Howey test. And, and so, you know, we try to narrow that as much as possible and say, okay, you know, only sort of, you know, what, what are the break glass in case of emergency times, you know, can you narrow that, you know, and, and, you know, and have the, you know, the community adopt a proposal, you know, specifically, you know, pointing, you know, some people or, or group or, you know, that, that can exercise that in certain very limited situations. But those are the sorts of things that that come up with these structures, these new, you know, sort of yeah. governance structures. You know, what what do you do, you know, and 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 community participation is a real problem, right? That's that's a real challenge for a lot of these DAOs, and and then you know, trying to make sure that you have, you know, structures that are flexible enough to be able to accomplish what you need to accomplish to keep it going in times of low participation or maybe very high or these, you know, then you know, concerns about, um, you, know, you know, potential kind of takeover actions and, and the like, you know, people working in concert and then these, you know, kind of rage quit mechanisms to, you know, to, to leave potentially if you, you know, if you need to. Um, so lots of very fascinating issues that, that it leads to. Can I say one quick thing? I, I think that a kill switch, as has been discussed, is a blunt tool. And probably all that uh, policymakers are able to grapple with at the moment. But I think that um, communities building this sort of technology are also capable of the thought of building in the functions and oracles. And, and yes, there are problems with oracles, but to be informed based on known and, and anticipated risks and not shut down the protocol but perhaps slow it down or you know depending on what it's doing there are more innovative ways of protecting the the users or or whoever your stakeholders are that you're trying to protect than just a blunt kill switch that perhaps a centralized entity has got veto or, or powers to decide over so i'm not a fan i'm doing a lot of thinking about it and a lot more thinking about it um but I don't think that that's the silver bullet. I, I think that's 
right in that it definitely needs to be a nuanced process whereby communities and protocols and regulators have a conversation because as you kind of, I think are getting at this blunt tool because of the type of technology is and the way decentralized communities work together, the use of that blunt tool, unlike on the NYSE could literally kill that protocol mm -hmm. just because it's not up and people stop using it and community goes away. Um, and that's not, I think what anyone wants in most cases. Um, and then also a question comes to where do you put it in? How do you build it into the layers? Is it all the way at the protocol layer or is it an application on top where there's access? And I was having a conversation um, earlier with someone and discussing that, that like, do you, do you put these regulatory tools because we're working in a decentralized 24 seven global environment, do you put them at the level of the protocol after we decide this area should be regular, regulated and there's a regulatory regime that we all agree applies or someone who forces us to apply it. And then like, but do you put it at the, at a UI level instead? And that's where you regulate things. And therefore that's where you put in a throttle or a kill switch to slow things or stop things momentarily that doesn't kill the protocol below that. Um, so those are kind of considerations that I'm thinking through at the moment as well. Uh, in fact, I think that actually it's more correct to frame it uh, in terms of thinking on how to empower like sort of supervision on decentralized um, operations and this is uh, like uh, thinking uh, very very frankly like a sort of a sports team so there's no one feature one rule there is an, there is off-chain data there is on-chain data and this data at the end needs to be reconciled for a specific purpose and software to be to be working and how to effectively achieve this goal you cannot achieve it just with one it's a combination Absolutely. And I also liked what you said, Steve, about decentralization not being something stiff, but something dynamic that evolves over time. Could you just very quickly talk about the arc of decentralization and how this pendulum has switched over time? And maybe where do you see that it's going to be headed in the near future? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's I, I kind of looking at the evolution of DAOs. I mean, I think Maker is a really great example of of you know, something that's really very truly decentralized, I believe, and then, you know, breaking it, you know, down into pieces, kind of sub-DAOs and groups, um, and, and also utilizing um, different sort of structures for different activities. You know, you know, maybe it's a, a Guernsey Trust for, a, a, you know, a found, you know, for grant making um, activities or something else. So, you know, I mean, we've seen this sort of very pure, uh, protocol layer, um, uh, you know, voting mechanism, and a, you know, maybe something like a, a Uniswap or something like that. That's, you know, also very, very different than the sort of investment club like DAOs, as you mentioned. And, you know, this proliferation of other, you know, they're really sort of replicating TradFi structures and calling it a DAO. And, and, um, I think that's problematic. I think it's problematic for the the industry that that we we merge those concepts um, rather than being make, making sure people understand there's distinct differences in in, in use cases because um, you know the problem there is that when you're doing something that's clearly regulated in the tradfi world, you can't just all go and said say you know, you know like like they, they they tried back in 2017 to say oh you know yeah we're decentralized and autonomous organization we don't exist anywhere 
The SEC said, no, not so fast. That's not going to happen. And, and that's just true for all regulators. It's not, not just the SEC. So, um, you know, I, I think we've, we've seen this evolution, uh, you know, in, in, in many different directions. Uh, but I think we still have a long, long way to go to really figure out where, you know, and how to appropriately protect people who participate. And, you know, and, and kind of do the right thing for the regulations and, you know, different jurisdictions. Awesome. Thanks. And seeing that we only have one minute left and also tying this back to branch four of our tree of Web3 wisdom, which is enacting context appropriate regulations, specifically for DAOs. In 10 seconds of less or less, what do you, what do you say to policymakers looking into regulating the DAO ecosystem? Just all in a nutshell. Well, I think do away with this rubbish, same activity, same risk, same outcome, or same regulation. And instead, we need the catchphrase of similar activity, similar risk, specialized regulation or specialized approach to achieve the same regulatory outcome. I know it's more of a mouthful, but I think that it is more fit for purpose. Very useful. John, 10 seconds. Um, that's really fast. I, I, sentence. I think I would say to legislators, not regulators, but legislators, you need to look at the underlying nature of this activity, which is a decentralized group of people coming together who do not have the same preconceptions we have established in current law. And if you look at those concepts and those principles to write new laws about this, sure, you can get to similar regulatory outcomes with all sorts of tools, but you have to understand that bottom nature first or else you're gonna get to the wrong ones. Okay, um, I would probably say, following also what Yoni said in the past, uh, thinking about the, the koala model law. I mean, these are the kind of um, um, legal instrument which can help to set some principles, like some bottom ground uh, understanding in principles about what is needed for those organizations to work in uh, common terms. So to, I would recommend to international regulators to try to come up with similar solution to enforce that and to support their national uh, countries in the adoption. Yeah, I would just say that I, I have a, a wish or a hope that we regulate activities and not technology. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you all so much. Thanks, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our Hootenanny. Thank you for listening. For more hopeful and hype-free resources, visit owlexplains.com. There, you will find articles, quizzes, practical explainers, suggested reading materials, and lots more. Also, follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn to continue wising up on blockchain and Web3. That's all for now on Owl Explains. Until next time.